We have been uh, looking at the spheres of ministry, if you remember, right? And um, we've done already a part on uh, ministering to the Lord. We said that was reaching up uh, to God in love. And uh, we are in, uh, in the middle, sort of like in the middle, of uh, the second sphere that we call ministry to the body. And we said that uh, that's us reaching in and loving each other, loving the body of uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, there was a practical aspect to that uh, that went on while we did this trip into North Africa because what we were doing was taking literature, material, in uh, correspondence for believers who are on the other side and desperately need uh, to continue to have things that they can read and, and, and look into and so on. And that's a means by which we minister to the body of Christ. Now last week, we looked into the, the development of the idea of body. What do we mean by the concept of the body of Christ? Because we're talking about ministering to the body. And perhaps we need to understand the body first. And, and, and what part do I play in this, in this church thing? Um, when you grow up, like myself, in, the, uh, in a denomination, in a, in a mainline church, in a state church, you think that church is not only just a building, but it's an event. An event that takes place from time... X to time Y. And you do church by going to a church. And so when you walk out, you're done with church. And you've done your weekly thing of church. And you know what? That's okay. And when I say it's okay, it's because, hey, if that's all you know and that's all that's ever been said to you, well, then you think that that's what it is. Until we come to God's Word and we realize, you know, that's not church. I mean, for one second, can you just kind of look at yourself inwardly and say, I'm church. Can we say that together? Say, I am church. If this was a football match, you guys would scream like crazy if it would have been a goal from your winning team. I am church. Do you understand what that means? You are the body. You are everything that's repeated throughout Scripture. We talked about several metaphors of the church of Jesus Christ in the Bible. There is the building where we are living stones. He is the foundational stone. There is the vine and the branches. You're the branch. He's the vine. There is the bride and the groom. We're the bride. He's the groom. There is the family. We are the children. He is the father. We have a, uh, an older brother. And then there is the body concept, which is the one that we kind of take off on. The uh, extensive metaphor in the scripture, the one that seems to be spoken of the most, in which there is a living human body, and uh, we're told that Christ is the head and the control center per se, Christians are the personal parts of that body, the eye, the ear, the nose. You know, like we said, nobody wants to be the liver and the kidneys, but somebody's got to be a liver and a kidney, you know, whether you like it or not. If you really want to get grossed out, you know, think about the large intestine, the small intestine. Okay, never mind, let's move on. So, there is the body, and it's got all kinds of parts. And I was sitting there thinking, there are the visible parts, and you see the visible parts. They're the ones that are up front. They're the ones that are speaking. They're kind of like the mouthpieces. But you know what? It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work if there weren't other parts that make our work easier. I mean, there's other people here that come in and do things, and, and you don't see them. They just kind of are very behind the scene thing, and they, they come in early, and they serve you. They get the tea ready, and hey, listen, what gathering would be a gathering without some tea? You know, they get things ready to come in, they clean the church, they set up the chairs, they work with all the gizmo gadgets. This is getting very complicated from night to night. I keep thinking, oh, I'm so glad I'm not worrying about that. And, and, and then there's other people that come here, and, and you don't even know who they are. 
but they're serving you. And all you get to see is the ones that kind of get up here and make all the noise. But that's not all there is. There isn't just eyes, ears, and noses. Like I said, you know, there's some kidneys out there and some uh, uh, livers and, yeah. The visible church. We talked about the visible church. We said it's one that is here on earth. And uh, we see it in the lives of Christians. People who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Who give biblical evidence that their faith is genuine. That the local church is where they express that faith. That outworking of their relationship with Jesus Christ. They are those who show forth living faith in a, in a visible environment. We then said that, um, of course, if you have true church, then it's only natural that there be false church. If there's a true gospel, there has to be a false gospel. And Galatians spoke to us, and we learned that in Corinthians, Paul says, I've delivered unto you that which I also received, how that Christ uh, uh, died for us, uh, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and raised again according to the Scriptures. He said, that's the gospel. Those are the elements of the gospel. And that when we corrupt any of that, then we have ourselves a false gospel. Christ and Christ alone can be the good news. The good news isn't you can work your way there. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. The scripture says, but according to His mercy, He saves us by the washing of regeneration and renewing in the Holy Spirit. So, we know that there is a false gospel, but we also know there is a true gospel. And if there's a false gospel, then there has to be false church. And false church is where salvation is a part. Salvation is just a part or in addition to the work of Jesus Christ. We, we see Jesus Christ as... Yeah, you know, He did what He did and that was cool. And whether it was premeditated or cut short, but we have to add to that. And so they tell us, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to come here, you got to go there, you got to do this thing, you got to complete this part. And uh, when we've done with it, we've added to the gospel and um, we've falsified the teaching. Uh, the denial of the biblical person of Christ. By the way, pick, pick a... Pick a um, a false church, uh, any kind of cult, any one of them, just pick one. And you will always see that the one place that they all have in common is how they corrupt the person of Jesus Christ. That's where they all at least have one thing in common. And it's how they see Jesus. And it's never the biblical Christ of Scripture. There's a denial of the apostolic doctrines. There is the wrongful exercise of the ordinances. Either they'll add to baptism or tell us that baptism is regenerational, meaning that uh, you know if you don't, if you that baptism seems to add to this whole concept of salvation, or that communion is meritorious. You know, that somehow by going through the act of communion, you are maintaining, adding, or keeping to that gift of grace that uh, you got from God. So, there is a false church. Or, true church would make no sense. Why would you falsify something that doesn't exist? And we came kind of to the end of things last week, and we, we, we kind of left it at the end. We didn't by any means bring it to an end, but we spoke about belonging. Because if we're talking about a body, then you've got to belong. You know, the, the members belong, they're connected, they're tied. One needs the other, and there's a flow chart inside this physical body of us. Um, uh, we grow in Christ by being in relationship with others, connection. That's how we grow. Uh, the idea of a non-connected Christian, someone said, is a very lonely orphan. You cannot grow, you cannot experience church, Christianity, on your own. Now I know that there's always 
those who think they can. But you know what? They can't. Because it wasn't meant to be a dismembered part. We weren't meant to be orphans. We're meant to be part of a body. 1 Corinthians 12, which is the chapter we're kind of looking at, which really we would have taken time to read the whole thing. 17 times. That's not a little bit. In one chapter, God uses the word member. Because He's trying to say to us, we're connected, we are together, we are necessary. He says, those members that, in that chapter, that passage, that we, He says, those members that seem to have little honor, in the long run, we end up giving them a lot of honor, because we need them. There is no such thing as a meaningful position in the body of Christ. So we get to point one of this one. So let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, it is difficult to minister to a dismembered part of the body. So because we want everything there is in the gospel, in our hearts, in our lives, and we want to get all that there is to be gotten from you, help us understand the part that we play, the need that we have and how much we ourselves are needed to be parts in the great whole, the body of Christ. So lead us here this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We said we have to minister to God. Once that, once that fountain part is full, once, we, once the first tier of that three-tiered fountain is full, and we've given all there is to God, and we are, we are just ministering to Him, we're filled with Him, it should come naturally then, that the water starts to flow into the second tier, which is us. Which is us. Ever notice someone who doesn't understand the church, the body, will come into a congregation, and they'll always say things like, why do they always do whatever it is that bothers them? Whether it's how come they're so nice and always saying hello? Why do they always take up an offering? Why do they always have to sing? How come they pray so much? Because they don't understand it's an overflow. It's meant to be an overflow of your heart from God then towards the body. I remember a young man. He, um, it was a young lady who did what we call... Uh, um, evangelistic dating, you know. She was a Christian, he wasn't. She never should have married him, but she did. But God had grace and mercy in this case. And the young man eventually came to Christ. But he'll tell you the story that his in-laws would come to see him. They were Christian, he wasn't. His wife was a Christian, he wasn't. He said, it just a bother the daylights at him. It was kisses and hugs and we love you. And he's like, get away. He said, how can they love so much? Now he came from a home where it just wasn't that expressed and so on. He said, but, but it's not just towards me. I mean, I look at these people and they're like loving everybody and they're hugging everybody and, and everything is kind of good. And he said, it used to bother him. Until one day he started noticing it from a different... He said, could it be that they have something I don't have? Eventually God used all that lovey-dovey to bring him to himself. So, how are you on the love thing? It's supposed to be the body always reaching out. To itself. So we're going to talk about the first point because, you know, there's a heavenly pattern. There's something here that is way bigger than ourselves. And I, I was saying, Lord, you got to help me with this. I, I know it's a stumbling stone for some people, this whole idea of being a part of, being a member of. See, they, help me with this. Then it came to me, you know, that it's all about a heavenly pattern. Now, if you would follow with me, if you wish to read, it's in Exodus chapter 25, but if you want to follow with me, can you, can, do you know what the tabernacle is? The tabernacle was the tent that was out there in the desert. 
Okay, and God said to Moses at the mountain there in Sinai after they came out of Egypt, um, He said, I want you to build this tabernacle and it's going to be a very special place because we're going to meet there. I'm going to meet there with my people. You're going to come. You're going to bring offerings. You're going to do all kinds of things there. And it's going to be a very important place. But He said to him, be very careful to do everything that I tell you. To the pattern that I tell you. They didn't tell him why right away. He's telling be very careful. You must do everything as I tell you in the pattern and in the way that I tell you. And so in Exodus 25 verse 8 and 9 it says, Let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them according to all that I am going to show you. As the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furniture, so you shall construct it. And you're thinking, what's the big deal? Four sticks, a piece of cloth on the top. You know, why does that... Be? And there was all kinds of intricate detail. The size, the, the designs, the this, the that. It was this kind, that kind. There was so much that went into it. Then you jump to the book of Hebrews. We find out there was a reason for the Lord's apparent madness. There was a reason... Hebrews 11.9 says that Christ, after He offered sacrifice on the cross, after He had offered all that He had to do and He said, it is finished, it says, Christ entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Guess which one that isn't? It's not the one out in the desert. It's not the temple at Jerusalem. It says a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Now here's the part. Not made with hands, that it's to say, not of this creation. Where was that tabernacle? In heaven. So when God said to Mo- uh, Moses, I was going to say no, it's rather that. Uh, to Moses, to build it and to build it this way and that way, and this is my time, and this is how you're supposed to do it. There was a pattern. Where was the pattern? In heaven. So that if somebody would come and say to God, come on, what was the use for that thing out in the desert? After all, I got my own tent. But I have to go to your tent. Why can't I just do it in my tent? Why can't I do the offerings in my tent? Uh, why, why do I have to go to your tent? You know, there's a crowd, you've got to get in queue, you know, you've got to do all this, you've got to do all that, you know, and I have to walk all the way over there. Why can't I just do it in my tent? Can I just read my Torah in my tent? And deal with meeting you in my tent. Why do I have to get up and get dressed and go to that tent? Why can't I stay in this tent? Get my drip. God says, there is a pattern. I meant for that to be because it is a pattern to something that is way beyond you. It's a heavenly pattern being brought to earth. Now, there was a heavenly tabernacle... (coughs) That was set as a pattern for the earth. And somebody saw that tabernacle. Did you know that? His name was John. And in the book of Revelation chapter 15, he sees the tabernacle in heaven. He says, whoa, I've seen that. I've heard about that. I've read about that. It kind of looks like the one in Jerusalem, but this is the heavenly one. There was a pattern. Now, where am I going? You want to wear Likewise, the body of Christ is a heavenly pattern to the local visible church. See, everybody kind of loves to talk about I am part of the body. And, and it's this invisible body that almost seems to have no rules or regulations. And we say something like, I'll read the Bible in my tent. I'll do other things in my tent because I am subject only to Jesus. It sounds so spiritual. You know, I'm part of the body and, and it's always the greater body, the invisible body, which is true. See, the thing is, it's true. But the question is, why? Is it because God meant for us to kind of all just be, you know, lawless? No, no real connection, just be connected to me? Well then, look at the pattern. The heavenly pattern of the body 
is because it was meant to be reproduced at our level. It's called the local assembly. It's the visible body. The invisible body is, uh, the visible body is simply a pattern of the invisible body. That's what makes it work. There's other patterns to that. Remember Jesus speaking of husband, wife, marriage thing? And, and in Ephesians, you get the feeling that Paul's talking about marriage. And he says, you know, because the wife this and the husband that and love your wife and submit, blah, blah, blah. When he gets to the end in, the, in Ephesians to the last few verses there in 20-something, he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And he said, well, I thought you were talking about husband and wife. He said, no, I'm talking about Christ and the church. There's a pattern in heaven we're supposed to reproduce it on earth. So, and though me may be speaking to the few, just help yourself in understanding we've got to get past the hang-ups. The whole idea and the whole concept of membership was God's idea. Now that others have corrupted it, that others have taken advantage of it, have done wrong things with it, have misused it, shouldn't take away from this reality. Now you are Christ's body. But then he says, and individual members of it. We are individuals within a greater body. So God used the concept of a member long before the world occupied its purpose, uh, took its purpose and corrupted it. So, you be a member of the invisible church. Be a member. Act like a member. Live out being a member of the invisible church. But be a member of the visible church too. Because the, heaven, the earthly pattern is carried after a heavenly pattern. Number two, you are a vital part. You are indeed a vital Whatever part is yours. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, he talks about being baptized into one spirit, into one body. Now that talks about kind of unity, belonging, then he says in verse 27, individually members of it. So you've got an individual unity. That's an oxymoron. Individual unity? And the idea is yes, you are part of a greater whole. But you are indeed an individual part. That's why God deals with us individually. That's why no two people reproduce the same experiences and the same touch of God. And that's why no two people have the same testimony, have the same idea of how God relates to them. Because though God sees us as a unity, He deals with us as an individual. So it's an individual unity. The true uniting of humanity is in the body of Christ. No longer Jew or Gentile, free or slave. No longer do we worry about color, creed, race, about class. God says you're one. Because when I bring you, I take away anything that would separate and only create unity. So a church should reflect its community. Think about that for one second. A church should reflect its community. Now, as much as I would like that reflection to even be linguistic, would really create an issue here. Maybe if we had the proper setup, you know, and uh, we had the, the means to do it, uh, and the uh, and the um, uh, simultaneous interpreters to get it done. You know, we could even do church in multi-languages. It's real messy. So maybe linguistically it was the only exception. But other than that, it needs to reflect its community. And the kinds of people that are out there, those are the people that should be here. Whether it be color, race, nation, class, it shouldn't matter. Because in front of God, you're just a part of the body. 
And that's it. There is no better or worse. Number three. So, your part is? What is your part? You're part of the body. So what is your part? If we use the, if we use that metaphor of ear, eye, nose, hair, you know, uh, uh, hands, fingers, uh, elbows, shoulders, get into the internal organs, I don't know. Who wants to be the blood, you know, running all over? Okay, so what are you? What is your part? So I say, you know, it's kind of like, and your part is, and you're supposed to stand up and tell me what you are. And your part is? No wonder church is a mess. We have no idea what we're supposed to do while we're here. Because we come to receive. Do we not? Do we not? We're supposed to come to give. If I don't know what I am, how can I give? Okay, your part is dot, 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 dot. Your spiritual gift. That's what God gave you to function in the body. That's where you find out if you're an ear, your nose, your, you know, your teeth, your gums, you know, what, your tongue, your, your the throat, your the back, your the spine, whatever. The parts in the body of Christ are described in some 26 of them in the New Testament. Call them gifts. Um, now, let's start quickly what what it isn't. What is not a spiritual gift? Because I tell you what, it's awesome how many spiritual gifts. There is a book out there, uh, a brother from Germany wrote it, and I remember looking at that. They were like, he had like, he named like 40-something spiritual gifts. And I thought, where on earth did he get these many? And I started reading through them and I said, oh, I see. I mean, he put everything on the spiritual gift, you know. Every, music, spiritual gift. He put everything on the spiritual gift. So, there's a difference between a spiritual gift and a natural talent. Very big difference. Though a natural talent is given by God, it is not a gift. Because only born again believers have spiritual gifts now you say well that's being selfish I know but I don't give it it's God that gives it now talents anybody can have a talent an ability but only a believer has a spiritual gift and it's given to him or her the day that they are born spiritually now they don't get a little box with a little bow on it and you open it up and voila, there's my gift. It's just given to you. Guess what our job is? To figure it out. Guess God assumes we're going to read His Word and we're going to study it and we're going to figure these things out. But sometimes years come, years go, you know, and come and go and come and go and come and go and we never, we never no one's even told us we're supposed to figure out our gift. So we live years in the local church frustrated because we don't know what to do or what we do. It doesn't work out. We don't feel good, and, and it doesn't and it doesn't energize us, or or nobody realizes what we're doing or whatever, and because we just don't understand. Now, by the way, music and since we're there, music is not a spiritual gift. I know we use the word they have a gift, but we really mean it's a talent. Okay. Uh, you can take lessons for music and you can learn to play an instrument. But if you have natural talent, that's when it kind of shines. That's when it kind of is a natural talent will get you to have the, to be above the norm. Uh, uh, Mindy, for example, you know, she has natural talent. Now she took lessons, you can obviously tell she took lessons but you'd say it's the natural talent that accepts, that receives all that input. Remember when my little, when my girls were very, very, very little, and we would be in the car, and my wife would sing something in, in pitch, and would tell them to repeat it. And they would repeat it at the same pitch my wife did. I would go, stink. I didn't get any of that. 
And I didn't even play the radio right, you know. And we just knew they had natural talent. Now you have to develop that natural talent. I mean, I watched Bob up there. You know how he gets up there with that guitar? I don't want to tell you guys, but they don't even have time to practice. Because this, like, this last two weeks, they haven't been able to. Because we've had so many things going on. And he just gets up there, looks at the things, you know, and he says, you're and off he goes. And you're sitting there, stink. I wish I could do that. And I could take, I could practice till doomsday. And I wouldn't be able to do that. You have to have natural talent. I remember when I was just a wee bit teenager, a real young teenager, my mother encouraged me and wanted to put culture into me, you know? So I took up the trumpet. Now those of you who are laughing know what a trumpet could sound like, yeah? That didn't go very long. Between the neighbors begging my mother and paying her not to let me go and take lessons, and uh, the whole, you know, uh, we gave up on the trumpet issue. And I just, it's, it was obvious Raphael had no natural talent. But um, we took another shot at culture. When I was a little more mature, you know, and things had developed a little better. So I took, are you ready for this? Singing lessons. Talk about a waste of money. Try that too. Try the guitar. My friends begged me, please, Raphael, put that thing down. The problem was I could get all the keys. I mean, I know how to use those, you know, put your fingers this way. I could do that and strum it. I had this part down, I had the strumming down. But I couldn't hear the, 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 how do you call it, the the, the notes. So I I couldn't hear them, which meant that when the guitar was not tuned, Everybody else knew it except the play, the guy playing it. But if you can't even hear what you're playing, for pity's sake, you know, just put it down. You know, if you don't have an ear, no natural talent, you can take lessons till the kingdom come. A spiritual gift is a divine given ability for the edification of the body. A natural talent can be developed. And there's all types of natural talents. You can edify the body, number three, through spiritual gift, even if you've no natural talent. That's the kind of oxymoron that there is. If it's your spiritual gift, even if you've no natural talent, because it's a gift that God gives you, you can then use it. Let me give you an example here. Now, I almost failed public speaking in college. I mean, I got like one of those passing kind of grades. It was my first year. I mean, I couldn't get anything right. And by the time we were done with public speaking, and here I am supposed to be going to be a preacher boy, and I can't even public speak, I'm sure that they sat around the advisors and thought, maybe we should change Raphael's, you know, wannabes, because... He can't do this public speaking thing. That was just terrible. I used to shake. I couldn't talk. I'd get all nervous trying to... And, and we did jokes and we did storylines and we had to read poems and we had to do inflections and words and I just couldn't do that. First of all, I couldn't get up in front of people. That in itself used to get me. <coughs> You're not believing me. I can tell you guys are looking... I'm telling you. It just didn't come natural. Then there came homiletics. Now homiletics is where they're supposed to teach you how to preach. Alright? And all I could think about was that I was supposed to stand up in front of my class and preach while the teacher sat there with a piece of paper and a pen and he and a red pen of that. And I just knew he was going to tear me apart. Because I just would get nervous. So anyway, we had all the homiletics that we had to have and came time to stand up to preach. By the time I would get off those preaching sessions, I realized, wait a minute, that wasn't me up there. I mean, I used to love it. Soon I realized, I have no natural talent for public speaking. What I get to do is develop the gift that God gave me. 
Now, if you want to talk about subjects that have no relation to the kingdom of heaven, I probably would feel very uncomfortable. But give me a Bible, I don't care how big the crowd is. It doesn't intimidate me, it doesn't scare me. And by the time I get started, I'll get that crowd enthused about God's word. You know why? Because God gave me a gift. We'll talk about that a little bit as we get towards the, towards the end. You have a gift. You do have a spiritual gift. It is divinely powerful and motivated in its own sphere to impact the lives of people in the kingdom of heaven. If you don't get to use it, it's a shame. It's a wasted gift. So you got to find out. you got to develop it. I don't remember when it was, maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago, we had a spiritual gift seminar here. And, 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 and those are the times when you kind of get a chance to, to understand who I am in the body of Christ. Now, number four, moving along here, there are three varieties or three kinds of gifts. Now, we have a verse up here for you, and um, I want you to open in your Bibles if you can. We're going to read it. Now, this particular verse that we have here is the New American, uh, excuse me, the NIV. And I particularly grab what they call the UK NIV, and there's no difference between the other NIV, but I don't know why. So I figured y'all, maybe y'all understand. And I'm going to read you from the New American. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want you to kind of follow what I'm saying and see the difference that there might be here. And the, the, the idea is for you to get a good flow of the words that are being used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. We're going to begin in verse 4. This is what it says. Now we're looking for three varieties, three kinds And this is the passage, the key passage to understand spiritual gifts. Alright? And this is what it says. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for common good. Now, we need to do an exegetical study of those three, four verses. But the truth is, what we need to do is have another spiritual gift seminar. But we're just going to give you a quick, very quick overview of what this is all about. Verse 4 says that there are variety or different kinds of gifts. Then the other one is different kinds of ministries. The other one says different kinds of effects. Now the word gifts is the word charisma. And we break that down into what are called the motivational gifts. Those are the gifts, the charisma that inward given gift to you by God. There's seven of them. And they are the primary motivational gifts. It's the fuel that keeps you going. It's what you never get tired of when you get when you get into doing it. You receive them at conversion, and the list of those gifts is in Romans chapter twelve. I'm going to give you the list just real quickly here for some reason. We'll look at it later, but there's seven of them. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, administration, and showing mercy. Now, one of those God gave you. And in that gift, you can operate tirelessly. Because it's what God gave you to work out into his church. The second group or the second kind of varieties is ministries. 
The word is service. The word is daikonion, which means to serve, to, to, to be at the uh, service of others. The opportunities of service that God gives us. And there's a list of them. There's ten of them. We can serve God through ten different kinds of gifts or ministries. And they can change based on the ministry that you are doing. And depending on where you are, what kind of job you have, or whatever ministry within the body, maybe your particular ministries or services don't change. Or maybe they do. Some years you're doing one thing, and some years you're doing something else. But it's the second tier, let's say, whereby your motivational gift is expressed through the gifts of service, through what you actually get to do into the body. And those you find in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Ephesians 4. The third variety is the effects. This is a really good word to look at. Because it's called, you could have effects or workings, but the word is energimaton, which means energy. It's the power thing. It's where God kind of comes at you and hits you. You know, whoa, that was God. But God uses people. What God does as you minister, those gifts aren't yours. It's what God does through you. What God does to minister through you. What the Holy Spirit decides that somebody needs and through you channels them to them. So God uses the motivational gift through the ministry that you're doing to energize the body of Christ. And there's nine of those. Those are the manifestations, the the visible effects that God shows right out there. The power gifts. Where you go, ooh, that was God. You know, that kind of a situation. Right, so... Three different kinds, three varieties of gifts. To understand that is the most freeing thing that a believer can find. Because now, he says, ah, I got it. My gift is, and you go, alright, roll them up buddy, let's go work. Now I figured out what I'm supposed to be doing. Now I know what energizes me. And um, to finish off, you need to know You need to understand your spiritual gift as a whole. You need to. You don't have to. Mind you. You don't have to do anything. You can say, you know what? I don't need that. And you just kind of will continue throughout life just kind of warming up the pew. Get involved a little here and there. You know, you 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 just kind of serve as they kind of need you. But if you want to really impact the church of Jesus Christ, if you really want to fill your part of the fountain so it spills over to the world and love the world, you want to fill your part, your second tier of that fountain, you really need to get a hold of what your spiritual gift is so you can serve the church. And from that fullness, serving... Have you ever noticed how there's always somebody, for example that wants to do evangelism, witnessing, they always want to take you along. And you just say, well, it's just not me. But then they make you feel guilty. And so you kind of do things, you know, whether whether it's serving people, and you think, but that's not what I, what I really want to do is this other thing. And no one opens the door to that. You can't quite explain it. Because there's a motivation. Find that motivation. Find the thing that really God pushes you on. And then from there it's easy to serve. And then you get to watch the power of the Spirit as He works through you. So know and understand that spiritual gift. First, help. It will help you in choosing priorities. You know your gift. Then putting the priorities in your life will be easy. Number two, it reduces the misunderstandings with other parts of the body. If you know what your gifts are, and you understand other gifts, then there won't be all this continual conflict, you know, in, in the church. Because, you know, people, you know, we, 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 how do you say in Spanish, we say, you know, there's that continual uh, rubbing up against, 
and creates friction. And sometimes, you know, it just doesn't flow. When it doesn't flow, there's a reason. You've got to find the reason. Or, or, or God isn't going to get any glory off of it. So it reduces the misunderstandings. Um, and number three, it helps appreciate others in the body and in the home. Because if it's a home full of Christians, it's good to know what the gifts are and there won't be so many conflicts. You, take, you, you appreciate people more. You should understand what their gifts are and you kind of free them to do the thing that, you know, motivates them. So we're going to close right now. And uh, I want to say this. Don't second guess. Look, we have not at all touched spiritual gifts. I mean, it is, it is basically did a blur. So it's a long study. But it, it, it is very common for people to want to second guess other people with gifts because they think they know by what they see them do. Now, I want to ask you to kind of just bear along with me a little bit here. I'm going to read you those the, the motivational gifts, okay? I'm not going to get into the ministry gifts or the power gifts yet. Just the motivational ones. The ones that we think we understand from Scripture, you have one. That's the carburetor inside of you that God put in. Alright? Now, let me read them to you. Think through this. There's prophecy. There's service. There's teaching. There's exhortation. There's giving. There's administration. And there's mercy. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Because you probably don't know the people right next to you. And most of you probably think you know me. Pick a gift out of that list that you think, what you think is my spiritual gift. What do you think motivates Raphael? What kind of keeps him going? I'm going to go through those lists again, okay? Now if you've been to the spiritual gift seminar, you have been disqualified. Because probably you remember. So you are not allowed to talk, alright? Now, for the rest of you, what do you think is my spiritual gift? You think you know me, you know, you've kind of been around, hanging around us for a little while. I'm going to go through the list, right? I'm going to give it to you and just pick out the one you think it's me. And, and, uh, and hold on to that thought, okay? There's prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, administration, showing mercy. You pick out one of those and say, ah, oh, that's his gift. Now, before you do that, remember what was our closing thought. Don't second guess other people's gifts. It's very hard. Because what you're seeing is probably how they minister, but not what motivates them. So, I'll give you a shot. How many of you think my, my gift is showing mercy? Yeah, I did not think it too many hands would go off on that one. <laughs> I was hoping something, you know. <laughs> I don't do good at the mercy thing. No, no. But hey, if you know my gift, you would know why that's not at the top of my list in a visible form. It's there, but not in visible form because my gift has mm, got not much to do with the outward expression of mercy. How about administration? Now don't laugh. I try my best. Now I'm not a good administration. Giving. Sounds like a few of you out there might think, maybe his gift is giving. How about exhortation? Exhortation. Somebody loves that cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about teaching? Teaching. That's my that's my spiritual gift, right? You think? How about service? Oh, boy. Yeah. How about prophecy? Prophet or prophet? Okay. Now, a couple of raised their hand, but I'm not even going to look at them because they weren't supposed to raise their hand because they've been to the scripture. (laughs) Do you know what my spiritual gift is? I'm a prophet. (laughs) That's what my spiritual gift is. That's why I show no mercy. (laughs) You break God's law, I'm going to tell you about it. That's my job. My job is to proclaim God's Word. Now in doing it, there's a lot of ways that it kind of comes across. 
I get to do it through teaching. So you think I'm a teacher because you see me teach all the time. I'm not teaching because I'm a teacher. Listen, I teach because I've got to clearly proclaim God's Word. It's put upon my heart. I can, that's why I can talk to a crowd. I don't care how small, I don't care how big. I don't get nervous. I have a message from God and I deliver it. And, and you are not going to intimidate me. If anything, by the time I'm done, I'll intimidate you. Because God gave me a message. I happen to get it across through teaching because it's what I kind of end up doing most of the time. But if I get with you one-on-one, those of you who I've had time to teach with and so on, and you, and you analyze how I talk to you, I don't, I don't suggest. I say God says. You do. If you don't, though, then you deal with the consequences. Say, you shouldn't go assuming people's gifts. Because you don't know what motivates them. And the last thought here, know your gift so as to birth serve the church. You need to know your gift. And maybe the challenge I'm giving myself is uh, let's go back and do another spiritual gift seminar. Well, maybe we'll find a slot for this coming fall or something. But, man, don't wait till I get around to making time for it. Investigate it. Give, if, you, if you want to know, give me, tell me, I'll, I'll send you an email, I'll send you some notes, and give, you know, let you off and go study on your own. But find out how you can best serve the body of Jesus Christ. Because if you can't serve the body, folks, if you can't get full of serving the body, can I, can I have my fountains, please? If you can't fill yourself with serving the body of Christ, you're never going to pour out into the third tier in a powerful way. You'll always be serving the world on a limp. You can't serve the body how on earth are you going to serve the world? How are you going to show them love when you can't even show love here? So if we limp, we're just not going to get the job done right. Does that sound like a prophet talking? Let's stand and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It challenges us, Lord. It speaks to us and it says to us there's so much. There's just so very much that we need to understand. Help us, dear God, to grasp it all so that we can best serve you and serve your body, the church, and serve the world in which we are placed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The musicians, please.